If you've uh, been here the last few weeks at Hope Church, you know that I've been preaching from 1 Timothy chapter 1. And last week I stopped at 1 Timothy 1.19 and then we come to verse 20. Verse 20 speak about Alexander and Hymenaeus, and I just thought that would not be a good text for a baptism morning. I'll let you read it for yourself. You'll see what I mean. Chapter 1, verse 20. Instead, I want to speak to you about what we see in Psalm 61. The Psalms, as you probably know, are lyrics to songs. But more importantly than that, they are the training place for how to pray. Do you want to learn how to pray? Go to the Psalms. Again and again and again, we see the psalmist praying. And in these cases, he has put his prayers to music. And I find that music does help us to express feeling, doesn't it? Um, We could say something and really mean it, but when you put melody behind it, all of a sudden there's an emotion that that comes out that was not there before. It's certainly more expressive. We do not have the melodies to the Psalms, but we do have the more important lyrics. And Psalm 61 reads this way. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So so will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. What a wonderful psalm. And yet, as you could tell, obviously... David is in a place of great turmoil. Uh, It sounds like he's miserable, actually. What I want you to see this morning is what to do when life does become difficult. And it does get difficult. Whether you're young or old, you know life can be difficult. And the problems you face are maybe not the same problems I face, but I, I assure you, challenges come, difficulties come. I want you to see what David does in light of his great turmoil. He is certainly in a rather desolate place. His future here is very bleak. Now, there are certain episodes recorded in the Bible that can try to help us pinpoint where David is in life when this is happening. And some people would suggest this is when King Saul was chasing him down and trying to kill him. I don't think that's the case at all. I think this is when David was already king, and the Bible doesn't tell us so. It's speculation on my end. But it seems like it's when David was already king and his son Absalom was trying to take the throne. His very son was trying to take his father's throne. So that he is now at war. But he is not at war with other borders, rather he's at war with blood relatives. Uh, often that's a worse kind of battle, isn't it? When there's fighting within their own, their own household, within family. And his son Absalom was actually trying to steal his father's throne. 
Keep in mind that the destiny of David as the king was determined by God. You'll recall that David was anointed by Samuel as the future king, and now he is the king. But his son wants to usurp that destiny. His son wants to chase his father down and remove his father, take the throne away from his father. And it looks like he's going to succeed. Now listen, David wasn't completely innocent. After all, he did raise Absalom. However, there is no way in which we can excuse what Absalom is doing to his father, the treachery that this man has created. And so now here David is drowning, and there's no lifeguard jumping in to save him. David is free-falling. He's untethered. He just keeps falling and falling and falling. It doesn't seem to come to an end. And at the same time, he's fearing what's going to happen when he finally does hit the ground. It's frightening. Now, just a few weeks ago, my son and I were at an amusement park, and we decided to get on one roller coaster, which was a motorcycle and a sidecar. I got in a sidecar. It was one of those rides in which you say, why in the world am I doing this? It took off from zero to 50 in two seconds. My head went back, his head went back, and before you know it, you're on your side, then to the right, and then upside down, and on and on it goes. It doesn't stop. It seemed like hours. (laughs) And then finally, it goes up this steep rail. And what I'm thinking is, what's on the other side of this steep rail? I'm holding on. (laughs) And then it stops at the very top. That wasn't so bad. And then it drops backwards. And everybody screams. Certainly my son and I did. Certainly I did. And then it stops again. And then suddenly it drops another level to another rail. And takes off again from zero to 50 in two seconds. It was frightening. Especially for this aging man. It was frightening. I got off. I had to walk across the whole park before the dizziness went away. (laughs) But the truth is, is that as frightening as it was, I knew nothing was going to happen. Hundreds and hundreds of people went on that ride just hours before me. And it was frightening, but I knew nothing was going to happen. And I thought to myself this week, wouldn't it be great... If all of life's problems were that way, harsh, frightening, but I know nothing's going to happen. I'm going to be okay at the end. But the truth is that much of what we experience from day to day in this world, we are afraid because we know something is going to happen. There is going to be ramifications. There is going to be greater hardship. What we see here in Psalm 61 is that David, in all his fear, fell into the lap of God. Aren't you glad that God is still God? Aren't you glad that God is in control? Aren't you glad that in the midst of the worst of conditions in this life, the Christian, the believer, the follower of Christ, falls into the lap of Christ? He falls into the hands of the sovereign Caring, all-wise God, 
who is my father, our father, your father. It's good to be able to be frightened and know that at the end, I'm going to be fine. David sees that and he writes about it. I want you to notice something about human nature, and it's rather unfortunate, but it's the reality. This is the reality about human nature. Our love for God often comes out of adversity. Too bad, right? Our love for God often comes when there's problems. That's when we learn to love God. That's when we learn how much we love God. The silver lining around adversity is that it makes us look to God when we would otherwise not even give him a glimpse. Sometimes we wonder, Lord, why do I have problems? Could it be because you haven't been looking to God and he's trying to get your attention and he tapped you on the shoulder, but now he's shaking you. Look to me, look to me. Well, in this prayerful song that King David gives to us, he first will ask for God's protection and then he recalls what God has done for him in the past and then he asks for God's protection again and then his his certainty, his assurance of who God is is once again reaffirmed and his confidence is bolstered in God. So let's take a look at this text. Let's begin with verses 1 and 2 and there you see David's plea for protection. David writes, God, answer my call. And notice here how urgent and how emotional he is speaking. He writes, verse 1, hear my cry and listen to my prayer. Have you ever said that to God? Hear my cry, listen to my prayer. He is in deep distress and he calls out to God. Uh, Verse 1 says he cries out to God. And that's all because his life has taken an unexpected twist. They do happen. What was planned did not happen. What was not planned did come to pass. And now we see David's foundation is crumbling. His dreams are shattered. His family is collapsing. David the king is traumatized. And David feels completely alienated. Look at what he writes in verse 2. He says, I call to you from the ends of the earth. Well, really, David was probably in a region of Jerusalem, but in his mind, he is at the ends of the earth. He was not in the North Pole. He was not in Timbuktu. He was actually very close to the place where God was worshipped in Jerusalem, but he feels like he's at the end of the earth. In other words, he feels completely alienated from God because of his circumstances. He's hurting. There is a spiritual distance between him and the God he knows so well. And this brings him his great fear. Even greater than what is happening to him, this fear that God is not with him. He's far away. Did God forget me? Lord, do you know what you're doing? Are you watching what's going on? Because this is not good. This is not supposed to be. Lord, what are you doing to me? I thought you could be trusted. Many people, when they start asking these questions, get angry at God. You'll notice here, David is not angry, but he is asking. And so he says in verse 2, 
I call to you and my heart is faint. That is to say, I'm worn out. I'm in this deep cavernous pit. Someone needs to throw me a rope. And the only one that's able to throw me this rope is God. He needs for God the divine to intervene on his behalf. I call to you and my heart is faint. He's at a point of deep despair. I'm reminded of what Jonah said when Jonah was sinking into the depths of the ocean after they threw him overboard before the great fish came and swallowed and rescued him. This is what David, uh, Jonah prayed. He said, when my life was fainting away, adversity, I remembered the Lord. Wise is the person who remembers God in times of distress. Foolish is the person who says, oh yeah, God? Well, then I'll just ignore you. Jonah said, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Jonah 2.7. Notice here what David prays. It's recorded for us in the second half of verse 2. Look at what David prays. I think it's an astounding prayer and I'll explain to you why I think so. He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's his prayer. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Some of you are saying that's improper English. Lead me to the rock that's higher than me is what we would say. Lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock. The rock is a place of protection. The rock is higher ground. It's the place where the floodwaters are not going to reach him. It's the place where his enemies cannot touch him. The rock is a place that has a foundation that is incorruptible, cannot be moved, it cannot be shaken. Lead me to the rock. The rock is God. God is safer, better, and able. So he calls out to God to come near him to come to his situation. Lead me to the rock that is higher. Now notice something that he does not say, at least not at this point. Look at how he starts his prayer. He does not say, Lord, destroy my enemies. That's where most of us would go, right? He does not say, Lord, give me the ability to overcome my enemies. He does not say, Lord, restore to me what is properly mine, because this is unfair. He does not say any of that. His first request of God is, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to that rock. My friends, let me remind you, I think you know this, but it bears reminding that when your situation is bad, that's what you need to pray. Lead me to the rock that is higher. When the diagnosis is bad, when the marriage goes bad, when family situation is not exactly what you planned, when income is not enough, when loneliness prevails, what should you pray? Lord, lead me to the rock that's higher than me. When your dreams are shattered, when your friendships are all letting you down, when your personal sin seems to be overwhelming and you can't seem to control it, but it controls you. When your children seem to rebel against everything you ever raised them to know and learn and believe. When your life seems like it has no purpose whatsoever. When problems seem to come bumper to bumper to bumper, never stopping, never ending. 
What should you pray? Lord, lead me to the rock. When death looms over your household, what should you pray? Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than me. My friends, don't ever think that as we join here week after week, we do so with smiles and and gladness because everything is fine. We all have our brokenness. We all have our stories. Some of them are worse than yours. We come here in joy, not because we want to make believe. No, we come here with smiles on our faces because we are in a place where we meet with God together. And that brings us joy. We are in a place where we are of like mind. We profess Christ together. And that puts a smile on our face. But never think that everyone here has it all together and that we don't have David-like experiences. No, it's quite the opposite. We are all in desperate need of the rock. And let me say this too while I'm at it. Never think that you can get to the rock alone. David did not say, I'm headed there. He said, no, lead me to the rock. You, Lord, take me to the rock. The rock is God. He is saying, God, lead me to yourself. Lead me to the rock. And then what we see in verses 3, 4, and 5 is the confidence that David has in the rock. You see, God had been good to David many times before. And so at verse 3, he says, for you have been my refuge. David looks backwards, and that is always a wise thing to do. For those of you who know Christ as your Lord and Savior, look backwards and see what he's done for you in the past. David looks backwards at the history of God in his life, the legacy of Christ, if you will, in his life. And he realizes that God has seen him through many other storms. God has given him victory even over enemies before. And so in verse 3, he refers to God as the strong tower against the enemies. God is his place of refuge. Notice here the metaphors that David uses in this psalm. The metaphors of God. In verse 2, he says, God is my rock. God is unmovable. In verse 3, he refers to God as his tower. That's the strategic place from where you control the battle. Verse 4, he refers to God as his tent. He, He writes, let me dwell in your tent forever. The tent is his home. The home of God. He's saying, I want to dwell with you, Lord. I want to be able to be in a place where I am myself. I am with you. I am sharing my life with you, in you. I want to be with you in your house. Your house is my house. And in that same verse, notice, he refers to God as one who has wings. And he has here an analogy of a bird, for uh, like a head who takes her chicks and hides her chicks for safety under her wings as the shadow of death of the chicken hawk swirls around. And those little chicks see that shadow. What do they do? They run for refuge under the wings of the mother hen. And there she nurtures and protects those little chicks. And David says, take me under your wings. Protect me. 
nurture me, place me under your wings. Now, this is what I want you to take home this, this morning. I want you to see this. I want you to see this clearly. I want you to remember this this morning. David has taken this affliction, this hardship, this deep trouble, probably more than what any of us here have ever experienced. He wants to take this affliction and he wants it to, be, it to become a situation in which he has communion with God and joy in God. Did you get that? He wants to take this affliction and wants it to become a place where he will have communion with God and joy in God. He is not saying, take this away from me. He is saying, make this an opportunity for me to know you and enjoy you forever. What a difference. Lord, use this. Use this for my good. We see very similar in Psalm 36. If you have time, if you're quick with it, Psalm 36. I'm not going to wait too long, but I'm, I'm repeating myself here just so you can find it. Chapter 36 or Psalm 36. Look at verses 7 and 9. Are you there? I am. <laughs> there you go. 36 verses 7 and 9. It reads this way. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. And get this. In your light do we see light. Jump over one psalm to 37. And look at that portion of verse 7. It says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Now back to 61. Look at verse 5. David writes this, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You have given me a heritage among those who fear your name. You have given me the same heritage, the same benefits you gave to them, you're giving to me. Why? Because they fear you, they know you, they love you, they serve you, and so do I. We share the heritage. I'm reminded of Matthew 5, 5, where Jesus Christ said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Did you get that? David here is reminded that he can face the future with deep, deep confidence because God is on his side. Now notice he doesn't say, I understand what you're doing, God. He understands who God is. He understands what God has done. He understands the promises of God for his future. But despite all his confidence, the reality of his trouble is still there and it's roaring uh, again, it's lifting up its head. And so David pleads for protection again. And so for, uh, point number three is a plea for protection, 2.0. Look at verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, David writes, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. And so David now moves from having a heritage among the people of God to now concerning himself with his own very family, his own blood relatives his concern for his earthly family. And so he says, prolong the life of the king. Protect me, protect my family. 
He's concerned with the well-being of his family. So that in verse 7 he writes, May he be enthroned forever before God. In other words, do not remove the king you chose from his rightful place, from the place where you put him. Do not let man commandeer God's plans for me. And of course we know that this prayer is answered in Jesus Christ, who's from the lineage of David, and whose throne will never end. Now notice verse 7, as we come to a close here. I still have one more point, but verse 7 is close to 8, so we're coming to a close. (laughs) Notice what David says. He says, appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Two things, steadfast love, which is covenant love, and faithfulness. Faithfulness is the trait of being consistently loyal and true to your own word. And David is saying, God, your covenant love and your faithfulness, use those to protect me. Let them stand guard over my life. David knows that if these two elements are watching over him, he is going to endure and he will also prevail. Now turn over to Psalm 89. I'll wait a few moments. Psalm 89, beginning at verse 30. And what you see at Psalm 89 is a restatement of God's commitment to David because of God's covenant love. He made a covenant with David. And by the way, he makes a covenant with all those who come to him. Baptism is a restatement of that covenant. Psalm 89, beginning at verse 30, it reads this way. If his children, referring to David, if David's children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes but look here verse 33 but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went from went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. God is going to be faithful. David knows it, and he writes about it. He writes a song about it. And finally, at verse 8, we see here David pleads, once again, for protection, but also he has this renewed confidence in the God that is his. Because he knows that God is his rock, God is his tower, God is his home, God is the wings that shelter him. Look at what David says, verse 8. So will I sing praises to your name, as I perform my vows day after day. And here, my friends, is the routine of the Christian life. David says, I will be persistent. I will ever sing praises to God. In other words, I will continue to worship God. Now, some people say, hey, listen, God, you did me wrong. Look at what happened in my life. I'm not going to church. (laughs) 
David says, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing, but I know your steadfast love and your faithfulness will protect me because you are my rock, you are my tower, you are my home, you are my sheltering wings. And therefore, I will continue to worship you no matter what it is you do. I don't get it, but you're in control and you get it. You know what you're doing. I will continue to worship you. That is the call, the routine of the Christian life, persistent worship of God. But it doesn't stop there. But before I move on, let me just say this. It is not to your advantage to be angry at God. You may feel like you have reason to be angry, but it's not to your advantage to be angry at God. Your anger will not satisfy you. And neither will it change God. It will simply embitter you. And it will alienate you from the God who is steadfast in his love, in his covenant love with you. It's not to, to your advantage to be angry at God. David said, I will persistently worship you. And look what else he says. The routine of the Christian life. While he lives persistently faithful to God in worship, he says, as I perform my vows day after day, he will persistently seek to be obedient to God. He will carry out his word. He says, God, you're faithful to carry out your word. May I be faithful as well. I will carry out my vows from day to day. That's the routine of the Christian life, my friends. God is faithful to me, and I will remain faithful to him. Let me say in closing that you should never be afraid of expressing yourself honestly and sincerely to God. David certainly did. Of course, be respectful. Realize who you're speaking to. But express yourself honestly. But listen, honestly, trust in in him. Let the Lord of your salvation see you through. He is the rock that is higher than you. He is the tower. He is the home in which you will find your dwelling place most pleasurable. And he is the wings under which you will be sheltered. Come to him as that refuge. He alone, he alone is 100% of the time trustworthy. All else will fail you. Come to him. Let's pray. Our Lord and Savior, how grateful we are that we can come to you as that rock that is higher than I. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you allow us to come and find our refuge in you. And we thank you, Lord, that you are able to keep your word and faithful to keep your word. Amen.